This is your hour. Promote anything you like. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Today's guest is actually one of three people in the plant-based world that I admire most. In case you're wondering who the other two are, they are Dr. Neil Barnard and Miyoko Shinner. I think of her almost as a saint. She is the founder of PETA, which stands for People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, which I just learned is almost 42 years now in existence. That's two years shy of how long I've been vegan. She's doing great things in the world. Her book, Animal Kind, is now on paperback. I'll put a link to that. Please welcome her to the show, Ingrid Newkirk. It's very nice to see you. Hi, Chef AJ. Always lovely to see you. Yeah, I, I really do admire you because I, I mean, you know, I put you in the those three, because what you have in common, you just, to, to start something great like you did that never existed before, I always admire. And and what you do, it's it, it can't be easy because you have to have a kind of a thick skin. I could never look at the kind of videos that you, I mean, I, I'm just thankful that you exist because I don't have the wherewithal to do what you do. I can give you money and I can put you in my will, which I actually just did. <laughs> Thank you. Not. You're so wish, welcome. I wish everybody would do that because then your legacy lives on and the things you care about when you're alive continue to be helped. And I, it breaks my heart when I see some people who are quite rich, who care about animals deeply, they put the money in a trust fund of some sort and somebody who manages that fund dribbles it out every year, just tiddly bits, when I think it could change the world if it was so big. Um, we did have a member actually who was killed in a car accident in California and she left us $20 million some years ago. And boy, I mean, we could immediately implement all these fabulous plans that we're just sitting on the waiting to do list or the hope one day list. And suddenly it all became possible. So I always say to people, don't put your money in a fund, decide while you're alive exactly what you would do if you spent it today and then set it up that way. But AJ, I have to say, and I know I probably speak for all the three people you mentioned, me and the other two, Dr. Barnard and so on, is that we're very lucky because I don't think we're thick skinned. I cry a lot and I always have to steal myself to watch those videos, but we're really, really lucky. I'm not just punching a time clock every day. I'm doing the one thing that moves me, that I care about. And it's a huge privilege. It's a huge opportunity. So I'll take the knocks and I'll take the pain of it because it's worth every moment. It really is. And I didn't mean you were thick skin, like insensitive. I mean, you had, I, I don't, I couldn't come up with the word. It's just, you have the ability to do what you do and you do it very well. And I, I don't think I'll have 20 million when I die, but it'll, <laughs> it'll be something. We I just play like, the lottery. <laughs> we must all play the lottery. Well, it was really hard because, you know, when I turned 60 and I had to do my will, I'm like, well, where would I, where, you know, I don't have children, so I don't have grandchildren to give it to. And I'm like, well, whose work do I believe in? And again, it was like 50-50 between PCRM and, and PETA. So we kind of just did both. Thank you very, very much. Well, we will put it to good use. There'll be a lot of elbow grease, a lot of brainstorming. And if you have things that matter most to you, which I know you do, then put in a word for those because we all have dreams. I mean, even if we've got some money to put into something, we all think, oh, wouldn't it be nice if, 
So those ifs can come true. It's amazing to me that, you know, when I think about what PETA stands for, people for the ethical treatment of animals, and I looked up the word ethical, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't want animals in a laboratory or in a factory farm treated ethically. I just don't want them used at all. Yeah, I don't think it's ethical to use them. I tell you, frankly, I mean, at one point in time when people weren't really thinking about who animals are, uh, which is a, something that I try to do in the book is wake people up to their talents, their abilities, their communication, their maternal love, all the things that we used to think back in the day that were human traits. And they're not human traits, they're shared traits. We all grieve, we feel lonely, we fall in love. All of us, no matter how small, big, familiar, or not strange to us. So back in the day, I think they didn't consider animals very much at all. I mean, Descartes actually cut open his wife's live dog, nailed that dog to a board and cut the dog open and said, oh, well, I think the sounds the dog is making, which you can only imagine, are just the squeaks of a machine. An animal is nothing more than a machine. So maybe we excuse their ignorance back then, but I will not excuse National Institutes of Health experimenters today. They know better, and yet they are stubbornly clinging to old-fashioned ways which cause pain, torment. I mean, just imagine, AJ, it's not even when people cut into animals. It's when those animals sit for a lifetime, day after day, night after night, month, year after year, in a cage, which is all it is, is a see-through box. They're stored like things in a see-through box with a metal floor, no couch, no tree, no nothing, no comfort. And when the knob on the lab door turns, studies show, that their pulse rate increases, their heartbeats increase, their adrenaline goes up because they're afraid. They live in constant fear because they know something nasty is going to happen to them. That is all unethical. We've got organs on a chip. You know, you've got a liver or a heart on a computer chip. You've got whole human DNA on the internet. You've got high-speed computers you can program with human data. So it's unethical to use those others simply because you have the power to use them. That's totally unethical. You know, I, I've been vegan for 44 years. Obviously, I don't have any interest in eating animals, but I understand that there's people that do because either maybe they enjoy eating them or because they feel they need them, which are two separate things. But as far as animal research, like to me, that is just, that's just kind of stop. I mean, because I think even people that eat meat do not agree with a lot of this animal research. I think that's true. One of, no, I do have to watch a lot of video from our undercover investigators. And my heart goes out to them because, you know, if you're standing there and something horrible and a monkey is screaming in pain or fear, or a mouse is having an injection into their eye or having their tail cut off, you want to, surely if you're a kind person and the investigators are all kind people, dash forward and stop it. Say, just don't do that, don't do that. And they have to watch experimenters and assistants uh, mock the animals and tease them and slap them about 
because like jailers or some people who work in homes for the elderly vulnerable, they've got the power to do it and they like doing it. But those investigators have to stand there and, and, and just keep on filming. But yes, I think it's, it's totally wrong. It's inexcusable. We have to get away from it. No one should be buying anything that's tested on animals. No one who cares about animals should give to a, a health charity like the American Cancer Society or American Heart Association where animals are still being tested upon. Because we have modern methods. If you don't care about the animals, you're still shortchanging the human public if you don't use the alternatives which are quicker, which are superior, which are cheaper. It's just that you've fallen into the habit, you've got your laboratories, you've got your food suppliers, this is what you've done. And this is a way that you carry on behaving because no one has shaken you and said, you can't do this anymore. So join us, please, everybody who, who feels this is right, because we've got a thing called the Research Modernization Deal. This is like the New Green Deal, the Research Modernization Deal. And very carefully, our 19 full-time scientists have put together a package that shows how in every phase of animal experiments, every discipline, how you can move, a real pathway of how you can move to something that's today's science and get rid of the electrodes in the animal's heads and the biopsies that you're taking and the starvation experiments and taking their children away from them and all this other poppycock. So come on board, it's on peter.org. Do you think they continue, Ingrid, the experiments the way they do at the NIH because there's money to be made, because they're really ignorant and don't realize there's better ways, or just because they completely lack empathy and they enjoy them? Oh, they know there are better ways. There's no question. And when we file Freedom of Information Act requests, and we sometimes get their emails, you can hear them talking to each other about how to lock us out, how to make sure that they don't have to change. It's comfortable. It's how they're paying their mortgage. It's the only thing that many of them who are older have ever been trained in. They don't know the modern technology. They know it exists. And the bureaucracy gets packets of money from Congress. Congress is afraid to ask scientific questions. They're afraid that they'll look silly. And so they just give a bucket of money to the National Institutes of Health. And we have experimenters who we can show, demonstrate, absolutely, for 40 years have been doing the same things to torment monkeys, for example, scaring them with rubber spiders, scaring them with plastic snakes, scaring them by staring at them in the eye, which they can't take. Monkeys just are petrified of that. They just don't do that. And they have been getting not just a few thousand dollars, they have been getting $43 million, $18 million for this rubbish. And nobody has the nerve to say, let's just break the system down. You know, it's a little bit like the police department. Yes, you say, something is rotten here. We need something, uh, but we don't need what this, these bad bits of it, which seem to have taken over a large chunk of it. Let's break it down, examine it, see what we should be doing and let's reformate, format it. 
And that's what should be done with the National Institutes of Health. Yeah. Uh, before I ask the next question, just I don't want to lose this uh, comment in the chat from Anna. Thank you, Peter, for all you do. And Linda says, please tell Ingrid I love her and I appreciate all her work. You know, remember how Paul McCartney said if slaughterhouses had windows, everybody would be vegetarian. The thing is, is the NIH doesn't have windows either. And I don't I don't think people think about it like the way they do. People either eat meat or don't. But people aren't like when they go to Sephora to buy makeup, they're not necessarily thinking about cruelty free or if they buy products since they're doing this footage anyway of animal abuse can't you just put it on the internet or do a television commercial because I think a lot of people just don't know I, I think there are some that really don't know they don't know and one of the things we have for example we have a campaign against the University of Washington University of Wisconsin the Oregon Regional Primate Centers and I can tell you the things that they do, like electroejaculate these poor monkeys who are held in restraint chairs. I mean, really beyond belief. They have had so many violations of just the simplest, most basic federal animal welfare law, which is almost nothing, where they've put monkeys, scalded them to death in the washing machines that the cages go through because they forgot to take the monkeys out when they put them through the scalding water. They've had water systems that have failed and no one's checked and monkeys have dehydrated to death. They've had surgeries where they haven't even bothered to give the right medicine afterwards and the monkeys have died slowly and painfully. We've, in these cases, we try to run ads, billboards, television commercials, radio spots. And let me tell you, it's just like a lot of the farming things where you can't run a pro-veg uh, ad on television in prime time that shows what, even the gentlest one, that shows birds being de-beaked or something, because they depend on the advertising money of Butterball and so on. With the experimenters, the community, whoever owns the media outlet says, we are not going to put this on the air. It's too upsetting, it's too shocking, it's, this is our community. Um, we respect the university, so we get locked out, but it's on the internet. Anybody who wishes to see it, please publicize it, put it on all your social media accounts. It's even YouTube locks us out a lot of the time. And you know what twaddle is on YouTube half the time, but the real stuff, the facts people should see are often too horrific. Well, uh, Bulland says there is only one way to ethically treat animals, and that is to love them. You know, so uh, I'm going to talk about the, I was going to wait for the end because this is such a controversial subject among vegans, especially. But you had said, like, don't put your money anywhere where you know it's tested on animals. And right now we have a pandemic and we also have a vaccine. And there's a lot of people, even people I know to be extremely ethical vegans, even people I know to be abolitionists that are choosing to get it. Yet we do know it was tested on animals. So is there a way to navigate being an ethical vegan and taking the vaccine? Uh, yeah, I, I think there is because it's the same as we drive down roads that were paved by people who were not voluntary uh, road pavers. They were slaves. You know, you stop driving, no, it's, it's in the past. There are two things here. One is, it is wonderful that none of these vaccines, AstraZeneca, uh, Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer, Moderna, none of them contain any animal ingredients. That is phenomenal. 
Um, the second thing is that we we've been saying for years, you should not be testing a vaccine by uh, giving it to mice. I mean, the species is so different, if nothing else, forget the animals for a minute and what they go through and they're killing. Then beagles, it's always beagles, and then monkeys, and then it used to be chimpanzees. Um, you know, there was some help there and the chimpanzees got taken out of the equation. These vaccines were not tested in that way. Uh, they, or they, or I shouldn't say that. I should say we skipped those trials because there was such a need to get the vaccines out quickly that for once they listened and they didn't go that route. So none of that, that those vaccine trials took place. It went straight into the human population. That's a breakthrough. And that's where we have to keep their, them going in this direction. And we are, we're pressuring hard and I think it will happen. Now, some very small, one is too many, but very small for the first time ever, number of animals were used in the vaccine, uh, tr the initial development of the vaccine. For one of the companies, it was 24 monkeys. For another, it was 27. The largest number was 127. That too is phenomenal. But if you take any drug today, anything, doesn't matter what it is, it's being tested on animals because the FDA law regulations require animal testing. We are working, our scientists, our virologists are working with the FDA, they're working with the EPA to try to modernize and we are making inroads, but we all have to push and demand and then it will happen. But at the moment, it's not 100% pure, that nothing on the market that's a drug is. And so we have to look for the future. We can't bring back the animals from the past. Yeah, that's true. I had I was talking to a pulmonary doctor the other day on the show and I was expressing my concern. He said the exact same thing, that everything at some point was tested on animals. And when you think about it, even cosmetics that are cruelty-free, those ingredients at some point were tested on animals at another point in history. Yeah, at another point in history, and of course we have been pushing, we've got the cruelty-free bunny, the leaping bunny logo now. You can have a PETA certified as cruelty-free cosmetic. And we have, I think it's close to maybe 3,000 of them now. Used to be there were three, <laughs> so now it's 3,000. You can buy almost anything. Big name products, small products, homemade products. It's, they don't test. and. In our criteria requires that the ingredients no longer be tested. You cannot get the certification if the ingredients are still being tested, no matter how minuscule some little ingredient is. If it goes into that product, it's gone. Our biggest problem was China. Because you'll remember, AJ, we got big companies to sign that they weren't testing on animals. And then we found out that very sneakily, some of them were testing in China to sell in China because China required animal testing. So they weren't testing in the US or Europe. They weren't testing in other parts of Asia, but if they sold in China, they were testing in China. And we really went after them and said, you're just sneaks, you cannot do this. You have to tell the buying public. And we started to fund non-animal tests in China work with people on the ground in China, work with the companies 
and that is on its way out. The first non-animal tests have already been approved in China. Yeah, I, it's just, I mean, even if you eat meat, I don't understand what the whole cosmetics industry, that that was one of the first entries into that I heard about Pete. I'm like, this, this, it's just, to me, it's just, it's all ridiculous and it's, it's barbaric and I, I don't get it, but here's something, and this is where I sometimes think it's, it's shades of grays. Like um, there's a show on now and I'm, you know, it's, I, I mean, I watched it. I wasn't even thinking that it was animal cruelty. My sister said, watch this show. And I watched it because I liked the person in it. It's called Pooch Perfect. And then I watched it and I was like, oh my God, you know, I'm sure that PETA is against this show. So talk a little bit about uh, the use of animals in, 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 I guess, entertainment. Well, that Pooch Perfect show, I think is a perfect example of how you don't really think about it until someone says, Think about it. And it's not only what you see on the screen, it's imagine backstage and imagine rehearsals and imagine all the hours and hours and hours that those dogs who just want to be dogs, for God's sake, they want to play and run and sleep and be with you are being held in position. They usually have a noose around their neck to a little post. They're usually standing on a table. They cannot move for hours while they patiently and they don't understand why, have to stand there where somebody dyes their hair, grooms them to look like a fish, or whatever fool thing they do, as if they're toys, as if they're props, as if they can't think, as if they don't have anything they want to do. So it's very stressful for them. And you, you have to think they are mostly caged, and once they get that cut, Nobody wants it to be mussed or fussed or messed up or dirty. They have to be kept in pristine conditions. These are not dogs. They're decorations. They're used as, they're like you go to a store and you decorate a clay pot, you know, and you put paint on the clay pot. That's fine. Go and do that all day long. Leave the dog alone. If you love dogs, take them for who they are. They are who they are. And they're perfect the way they are, whatever they look like. So no, this, this is just using animals as amusements. And we've seen that in the circus, elephants, wild animals being taken away from their families, their jungles, their forests, made to stand on their head, wear a stupid piece of clothing. Remember the old chimpanzee tea parties? You know, all this has to go. We have to have this way of looking at animals with respect that they are thinking, feeling, living individual beings with interests. They're not stupid. They're not made of, of steel. They're vulnerable. They're emotional. And we need to respect them enough to just leave them alone. They're not accessories to our life and our lifestyle. They're not here for us to laugh at and please us. Well, I apologize for watching that show because I wasn't, my sister said, <laughs> watch it. You know, and, and, then, and then I saw the thing and I'm like, oh gosh, I, now I felt really, really terrible. How is that show doing? Are people boycotting it because of PETA or enough people still watching it because of the perceived entertainment value. We'll see, we'll see. I mean, we've been up against some really big shows, television shows, films, and so on. And we have been responsible for impacting on uh, how people view them. 
uh, we had that there was that horse racing show uh, with Dustin Hoffman. Can't remember its name now, but it was on. And we went after that. People said, you'll never win that. Well, we did. And they, they canceled that show because we were able to show, thanks to whistleblowers, I adore whistleblowers, that the, some horses died, some were injured, and they cover all that up. They don't talk about it. But thanks to whistleblowers, we were able to really put the kibosh on that show. Yeah. So a couple of people are asking, and I was going to ask this too, uh, what, about, what about service dogs? Like, for example, for the blind, is it, how do you feel about that? Well, I was really excited, actually, because last week, one of my dreams is that people who um, at this point are using a service dog uh, don't have any options, really. They are assigned a service dog who is just a dog who is in service and, you know, left to get on with it. Um, it's not the same with hearing ear dogs as it is with seeing eye dogs. But last week I was excited because another new innovation is coming on the market. And this, if it works out, is a GPS guided, um, I guess, walking stick thing. And somebody who is not sighted can use it and it tells them what's coming up. It tells them where they are, tells them what's in front of them. It positions them exactly right. It speaks to them, which the dog cannot do. And so it is really a fabulous device. The hearing ear dogs are really interesting and I'm all in favor of them. Hearing ear dogs come from shelters and pounds. So they're truly rescued. The seeing eye dogs are bred and they grow up, the seeing eye dogs grow up to maturity in a particular home. The hearing ear dogs, the seeing eye dogs are in harness. Hearing ear dogs have a real life. If the doorbell rings, they come and tell somebody. If the phone rings, they come and tell somebody. They are seen. If they have blood in their urine, somebody can see it. I know somebody who's not sighted may not know that their dog is suffering in some way. I just think it's not right for the person who's not sighted and it's not right for the dog to, to just dump them together and say, get on with it. At the end of a seeing eye dog's useful life, for lack of a better word, they're taken away and they're sent back to the kennel or the person they came from originally. Now imagine if you and the dog actually love each other and suddenly you wrest that dog from their person and you dump them back where they were. That is just so rotten. Whereas the hearing ear dogs, um, when they die, they're in the, in the home with the people they love. Great, well, thank you. I, I was always interested in your perspective of that. So it's not like a one size fits all answer because there are types of service dogs that are, that are also like pets. They live in, like they're rescues, they live in the home. They may be for psychiatric reasons or uh, they can sometimes sense uh, blood sugar issues, but they're treated yes. as a family member. Yeah, they're not constrained. Their lives aren't restricted. You know, what you're told with a seeing eye dog usually is they're not allowed to play with other dogs. You're not allowed to touch them and so on and so forth. And there are reasons for that, but it's not much good for the dog. You may remember AJ recently in Salisbury in the Carolinas, 
a police officer was seen abusing, punching, throwing, choking a canine officer, a dog. And we went after that. I mean, really went after it. We demonstrated, we filed Freedom of Information Act requests, we pushed and we still are pushing for criminal prosecution. That officer resigned and that's how it should be. That dog is never gonna see him again. But this is not an, a, a cut and dry situation either with the police force. Um, when President Reagan was shot, there was a dog with the officer Delahanty who was also shot. Jim Brady was shot, Reagan was shot, Officer Delahanty was shot. The dog with Delahanty was named Kirk after me because I gave that officer that dog from the DC dog pound. That dog had been thrown away. Back then it wasn't pit bulls, it was German shepherds that people got. And the reason I gave that dog to the Metropolitan Police Department is because I saw how they were trained I saw that they weren't kenneled. They went home with the officers. There was actually a retirement party for Officer Delahanty, and all the police dogs came over to his house and jumped in and out of the swimming pool. It was wonderful. So some police and service dogs are not trained well. They're not kept well, and they don't have a good relationship. So it's always a question of having a look. So it's okay that, well, not right now during the pandemic, that I volunteer with my dog, Bailey, because she loves going to the schools, doing humane right. education with the children and visiting people in the hospital. It's like, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, she loves it more than me. If she could drive, she would just do it. <laughs> and there's a horse. Have you seen on the internet? There's a horse who goes and visits elderly people and people with Alzheimer's in assisted living situations. And the joy they get, and that dear horse does seem to pick people who really need the love and they give the horse the love too. But if there's any constraint, anybody forced to do something, it shouldn't, shouldn't go on. Great. Um, people are asking about honey. We know it's not, it's, it's funny how people, even that ostensibly care about animals, prioritize them is like, well, it's not so bad if it's a bee or a fish, you know, and it's not, as long as it's not a dog or a cat. Yeah, I mean, you, you shouldn't really have honey because there are all these other sweeteners that you can have, agave and so on. And there's even a vegan honey now. But if you think insects are fascinating and maybe you don't want to go there, but if you start to look at them, there's no need to be cruel to them. And beekeeping is extremely cruel. I mean, the hives are smoked out. Those industrious bees are busy working away and they make all sorts of things. They make propolis, which of course you people buy in a health food store, leave that alone too. Propolis is made by bees for bees to keep them healthy and to ward off. It's like they're antibiotic really. And then the honey they make to provide nutrition for the entire hive, for the queen and all the drones, everybody. It's their industrious little project. So when you want to take that honey, the beekeeper smokes out the bees, puts smoke into the hive, and bees fall over, they become um, overcome with the smoke. The beekeeper has a thing called a bee brush, which is a metal wire combed brush and scrapes the, the, the collapsed bees off the side of the hive, tearing off wings and legs and so on so that we can steal the honey. 
you know, we don't need it. We're not starving to death. We're, it's just a luxury that is not a luxury for, that we need. It's, and it's, it's there, it's there everything. Yeah. And it's funny, I went hiking last week and there was a beehive and it was really high up. And I, I know that from an evolutionary perspective, our ancestors did eat some honey. And I'm thinking, how the heck did they get it? I mean, it's like, first of all, you can't reach it. And then second of all, like, I don't think the bees just willingly give it That's to you. That's it. They may have made, waited till they'd gone, all gone out. When they, I, I look at that with bears because bears, of course, love honey. And you think, oh, nature, you know, they, they, it works that way. But bears will get stung and so will people. That's why the beekeepers wear all those protective pieces of clothing. So um, I do these shows every day and I often have like a doctor talking about weight loss and I'll get like a thousand people watching. And when I do a topic like this, the viewership is less. And I even have somebody commenting, well, I, 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 ex I don't expect this from Chef AJ. I want to see, you know, uh, you know, some recipes and things like that. Why is it that even among vegans like that want to eat healthy, it's like nobody wants to know about this. Well, I think a lot of people are glad when they do know about it. And I am forever grateful to people who told me things I didn't know. I mean, I don't want to go through life like a robot or mindlessly. We're all told to be mindful. Well, let's be mindful then. Let's know what we're buying, what we're putting in our mouths, on our backs, on our feet, how we're entertaining ourselves. Otherwise, what are we? Automatons, thoughtless beings. We're supposed to be intelligent, so we should make intelligent choices. And in the book Animal Kind that I wrote, I tried hard in the first part of the book to show the absolutely jaw-dropping characteristics of animals, other animals, because we are one. And then in the second part to say, now you know these extraordinary things about them. Doesn't that inform how you eat? I mean, if you can eat a healthier diet, a more environmentally friendly diet, a kinder diet, as Alicia Silverstone would say, then why would you say, don't show me, don't show me, I like my steak? You'll get over that, you'll like something else. I was certainly always, I, I ate steak tartare, raw oysters, wild boar, uh, you know, I love food, but I don't miss those things anymore. I thought I would, but they make me feel sick to even think where they came from and what I was paying for. So I think if you eat, you need to be a conscientious, conscious consumer. And if you think that food is important in more than just a sus sustaining way, but as entertainment and enjoyment, then grow, explore, find other things. Don't get stuck with your meat and two veg and a sauce on top of it. So Ingrid, what, where do we start? Not everybody's gonna give $20 million to PETA. So- Rats. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I had it, I'd give it to you when I die. But, but what I mean is like, we have all different levels of cruelty and animal abuse and if you only have one shot with a person, like, what, what do we say? Like, don't watch Pooch Perfect, don't have, you know, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is just be, 
people can feel overwhelmed when they're starting out like a new way of eating or a new way of living. And I like to tell people, there's a saying, meet people where they are. I like to meet people where I would like them to be. But in reality, if somebody is a hunter and a meat eater or a bee, you know, we're not necessarily going to turn them into a vegan abolitionist overnight. So how do we move the needle and where do we start with, did you understand the question? Oh, I do. And I'm grateful for everybody who does anything because you can just choose one tiny thing and take a step. And I bet you, you'll take another step and another step. You don't have to start by just saying, going 100% vegan and everything I do today would be fabulous if you do, but just look at one thing that upsets you. Unless you're Attila the Hun, unless you're hard as a rock, you have some grain of kindness in you and you'll be offended by something that's being done to animals if you'll just look. So, I mean, I have people I know who are hunting and they've gone out hunting in the woods. They found a deer down on the ice and it's changed their whole life. And they thought, oh, they're just like big old dogs. I never got so close to a live one before that I had to rescue them because I was faced with this situation in front of me. And I've had hunters who have found a bag of puppies in the woods, a gunny sack with two puppies in it. And it made them very upset. And they took, stopped hunting and took the puppies to the Humane Society. People usually have some compassion in them. And one thing they do may open their hearts up. So I think you try your best um, to get people on a path. I'll just tell you about one person in our office who he was anti-animal rights, anti-vegan, anti-vegetarian. His sister was an animal rights activist and he made merciless fun of her, gave her a hard time. It was her birthday. He woke up one morning, he was about, I don't know, 20 something. And he thought, oh, it's her birthday and I haven't got her anything. So he decided I'm broke. I know what I'll do. I'll go and tell her, Susie, I don't know her actual name, but I'm going to go vegan for a week for you for your birthday. And she was elated. If people ask me, what do you want for your birthday? I say, will you go vegan for three weeks for me? I don't need any stuff. And so he went vegan for a week. The first day he fell off the wagon and ate sausages by mistake. But then he was vegan for the week. He liked it. He thought he felt good, he had energy, he discovered some new foods, he kept it up. And that, he says, opened him up to being receptive to information about circuses, about fur, and so on. So he changed because of that little one change that he made, and not even for the right reason. Yeah, and it's interesting how... <laughs> I mean, I'm just happy when people are vegan for any reasons, health, environment, ethics, but it's like they, a lot of times it's, they do it, what's in it for them. And then they become more compassionate. Whereas a lot of us, or at least me, it was the animals first. And then, you know, the health came later. It's really odd, actually, you say that. And it's always bothered me. I mean, I'm like you, I don't care why you're doing it. Just stop being cruel to animals. Stop paying other people to be cruel to them whatever your motivation, it's, it's, it's something that's actually happening that's good. But why would anybody feel that they were 
able to say to another person, oh, no, I, I'm, I don't do it for the animals. Uh, I do it for my health. It's like, no, 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 don't mistake me for anyone who is kind. I'm a selfish person. And you think, have you thought of what you're saying and how that comes across? It doesn't really put you in a good light, but go ahead, do it for your health. That's, that's fine. Well, a lot of times they do end up becoming more compassionate and eventually their eyes get open to some of these other issues that if they hadn't gone for their health, they might never see what we see. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I ask everyone to do is feed other people who are meat or dairy eaters, please, because they may never try it themselves. They're not likely to go to the vegan restaurant you go to. They may not look at the part of the freezer cake case that has the vegan crab cakes or the vegan chicken fingers or whatever it is. So please buy food, cook food if you're a good cook, but, and don't if you're not. Buy food, vegan food, so do you have people taste it? Because if they taste it, they may like it. And I was, um, I tell the story, I was walking along near our office. We're on the water, the Elizabeth River. And there was a woman fishing and she had these huge three-pronged gaffs that she was using. And I had just had this cancer cell removed from my lip. And it was really painful, even though I had painkiller. And so I stopped and I said to her, I notice you're using those hooks. I told her, I've just had this out. And I said, you know, fish's lips are so sensitive. They're innovated much more than your fingers. And she said, yeah, but I like fish. And I said, yeah, well, I like them swimming, but okay, we talked. I went to the store while she was fishing and I got her some of those guardian fish fillets and I bought them back and I said, just try these. I hope you'll like them, just try them. And she put them in her uh, cooler and I know she would have tried them. And I know she would have told other people about the conversation. And I think, I bet she never ever would have tried those if someone hadn't given her some. So I'm always saying, give someone some almond milk, give them some, whatever it is, let them try it because they might not do it themselves and you might change them. Do you think, or have you ever done any investigation or, or surveys that the people that insist on eating animal products, is it because we know that they're addictive? You know, Dr. Barnard wrote that book, Breaking the Food Seduction and talked about how meat, cheese, dairy, and meat, cheese, sugar, and chocolate were the four most addictive foods. Do you think it's just because they really like them and don't want to give up the taste? Or are there some people that really just believe that they need them for health or both? I would be hard pressed to think today, unless you live in a cave somewhere without uh, internet, that you think you need animal products to survive. And you do still hear people say, well, where do you get your protein? Which you think, where did you even, you don't know anything about protein. Why are you even saying that? It's just something you heard. And it's so easy to rebut because you get better protein, as you well know, from non-animal sources than you do for, and you get better calcium from green leafy vegetables than you do from meat. So I think they might have, some people might have this bizarre thing they've picked up that was floating around in the air about, oh, I might not get enough protein. And I think just look around you. Do people who are eating meat look as if they're lacking in protein? They look as if they should have less protein of anything. But mostly, I do believe, and I'm ashamed of my species for this, 
that it's obstinacy, it's convenience, it's definitely old habit. You know, we grow up, most of us, especially my age, we've grown up eating this stuff and we're adjusted to it. We like it. Our taste buds say, I'll take some of that. And I found it fascinating. Dr. Barnard's talk about the addiction of cheese, because that is the thing. He says, no one ever says to you, I can't live without broccoli. But they say, no, 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 I have to have my cheese. That's addiction, because there are these casomorphines, as you know, in it that affects the brain. And your brain says, well, I'll take some more of that. It's like, I'll have another drink. Or I had a drink yesterday. I really want a glass of wine tonight, too. It's, it's your brain telling you, take this stuff. It, it's not sensible. It is an addiction. Great. So a couple of live viewers have questions, Ingrid. Jeanette says, where can we start? And Diane says, what are some ways to get involved and make a difference? Oh, boy. Um, where can we start? Just start anywhere with anything you're doing. Buy my book, Animal Kind, or steal it, or get it from the library, or whatever, because it has step-by-step -step all the things that you can try. And it's what you eat, what you wear, what you buy, how you entertain yourself, that we live lower than we, than we think we do. We, you know, one of the things is that we care about charities and we might give a check. Let's say we give $10 or $100 to a charity, even $1,000 to a charity. That's great because they can all use it. Whatever they're doing that's good, they can use it and they can do more with it than if they didn't have it. But if we then go out and sort of justify, well, I'm helping, and buy things that absolutely cause animals pain. It means the wool off a sheep's back. And you should never think that's just a haircut. Just look at the videos we have online and you will cry. It's as bad as fur. Don't buy something that is made from an animal or was stolen from an animal because they're not volunteers. They didn't give it up. They had to be held down and all sorts of things had to be happened to them. So, Think of the things that you do when you shop. And that's even more important to shop kindly, harmlessly, and non-violently than it is to give a donation. But this, whether it's dissection, whatever it is, you're watching the movies and they've got a live animal or bear and write in, complain, make your voice heard. Look back on your life and think, I spoke up, I said something. Because if you don't, it allows things to continue that shouldn't continue. Your voice is vital. So I don't know, veganize one of your days, veganize one of your recipes, buy a vegan cookbook, never buy leather shoes again. Go and speak to someone who's wearing a Canada goose jacket and ask them if they'll take that fur collar off and let you give it to a wildlife agency and tell them why. And put things out on the internet. Don't let it be just you. Spread the word, give out the pamphlets, post up the notices, do whatever you can to grow us into a kinder, more caring, compassionate society. Wow. Uh, Bullen says, Ingrid, can you take legal action against people undering, uh, operating under the same name PETA, meaning people eating tasty animals? <laughs> One of the funny things about pe people eating tasty animals is they have a hot sauce 
and it's vegan. I don't know if they knew it was vegan when they made it, if that's a mistake or not. Um, but I, you know, you see people who are perhaps not in the best of health. Once in a million years, I saw this man in an airport and I felt sorry for him because he clearly was um, obese and just having difficulty. He was wearing a pe people eating tasty animals shirt. And I thought, oh dear, you are advertising, you know, against the group that you're supporting. So no, we can't take, we could possibly take, we got their website kicked off. We did actually uh, litigate against them and they had to drop their PETA website. But I, I think it's freedom of speech. Go ahead, say you like eating tasty animals. You're making buffoons of yourself. And I don't think most people will go along with it. We get hunters who send us dead animals little hearts cut out of animals in the mail, all sorts of horrible things. Those people will think it's, it's a great thing, but average person just thinks it's a mockery. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, is like, I think, yeah, I'd love to ask this to Dr. Doug Lyle. He was on the show yesterday, but I didn't even think about it. I think empathy is, is just, you, I think it's fixed. I mean, either you, ha I don't think people can get it if they don't have it. They're born either empathetic or not, or somewhere on the spectrum. Well, it's interesting because I do think your empathy can grow. And I do look back and I see things I didn't understand. And I am so glad someone told me about them, even if I argued with them at the time, because human beings don't like to be told something new. They often argue or, or reject it. Um, but I, so my empathy has grown as my knowledge of who animals are has grown. But there is a thing called the mirror neuron in your brain. And of course, that is the seat of empathy. And you have serial killers, for example, very chillingly will be shown a picture of a woman who is about to be killed, who is screaming or raped, who was screaming. And they're asked, what do you see? And they don't see, they can't empathize. They can't understand why she's so upset or why her eyes are wide or anything. There are people who have an undeveloped, or underdeveloped mirror neuron. And it's not their fault. They just cannot understand why you should care about any other living being, not their mother, their lover, the dog, nothing. But then other people have degrees of developed mirror neurons. And there are some of us whose mirror neurons must be pretty much developed because we're upset by somebody yanking their dog down the street. I have to stop, roll down the window and say, excuse me, can you please not drag your dog down the street? Yeah. You know who I have empathy for are people that hurt animals because they feel they have no other option, like, like the factory farm workers, you know, the ones that the slaughterhouse workers, you know, the ones that they're, they're often, of a, they don't speak English. It's a very low paying job. And I don't think they really want to do this. I think a lot of people are stuck in that situation. I don't think they have to be cruel to animals, but it becomes an institutionalized way of behaving. And you see the same thing with people in laboratories who it becomes a culture that, and in prisons and in old folks' homes, you see people looking down on those they have power over and taking it out on them. We have found AJN factory farms where we have found a pig being spray painted in the face for fun, or a pig having a cinder block dropped on her head for fun. 
with men standing around laughing. Those men often have criminal convictions for beating up their spouses or their significant others. The things they call, I suppose on the internet you can say it, but I won't. The names that they call the animals that they're abusing are the same names that people call women they hate. So I don't have a lot of sympathy for them. And I think that they should stand criminal charges the same as anybody else. I don't care if you're rich or poor, if you're from South America or you're from New England, you know, it doesn't matter. If you're cruel, you need to stop it. There are laws against it, even if they're not enforced in these industrialized situations like the slaughterhouses. Yeah, well, the thing, the thing that got, I mean, everything gets me upset, but the thing I think in my life that got me most upset was Michael Vick and the fact that Obama pardoned him. Obama pardoned him? No, he didn't. I thought he did. I'll look it up in a minute. I'm almost positive while you answer the next question. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I would be stunned if he did. Um, I've been stunned by other things before, but Michael Vick came actually to the office where I'm sitting now and we met and he told me brazenly to my face, just right there, that he grew up because he grew up not far from our office too in Newport News that he grew up thinking of fighting dogs as one thing and pet dogs as another. And he loved his pet dogs, thought the world of them, they lived in the house and the fighting dogs he just saw as machines. I found out that was a bold faced lie because the United States Department of Agriculture had a witness or several witnesses and he had actually taken his own pet dogs and thrown them to the pit bulls, watched them torn apart and had laughed. So I think he, and I've said this before, said it to him, said it to his attorneys. I think he's a psychopath. And that brings you back to not having a mirror neuron. Might not be his fault, but what he did was illegal. He knew it was illegal. He took advantage of the money that he had to buy a property on which he could set up a fighting ring. And I am so glad he sat in jail for a long time, but it's over. And I don't think Obama pardoned him. Okay, you're right. I, I, I apologize. I, that was not the right word, but he did. I'm, I'm looking this up and it says, President Obama thanked Philadelphia Eagles owner, Jeff Lurie, for giving convicted felon Michael Vick a second chance. Yeah, it's because Vick of course said, as so many people do from you know, all sorts of, of crimes, that they've turned over a new leaf, they've found Jesus, whatever they've done, and that they want to be forgiven. And America has a long history of allowing people to be forgiven. And so I think that was the operative feeling that Obama had is give him another chance. Now he said he's sorry. I frankly don't believe that he was capable of being sorry. Can he even, can he even have a pet now? Because, you know, I mean, he was sorry he got caught, I'm sure. That's right. You know, the thing is, is if, if somebody in another profession, like let's just say a mail carrier, I'm not, I'm just saying a job, it could be any job, did what he did, that guy would never go back and work for the U.S. Postal Service, I'm pretty sure. But yet, because he was a celebrity and in a, a, a profession that, make, you know, it's just, to me, that's just wrong that they gave him a second chance. I mean, personally. Yeah, that well, he... He can have, and he does have animals. And in fact, the Humane Society of the United States backed him in getting 
uh, a dog and we opposed it. We do not think that he should ever touch uh, an animal again as long as he lives. Um, if he were not to do any of this again, I don't frankly care what he does. What was really upsetting is I received a lot of hate mail. A lot of hate mail came into Peter at the time to say, he's black, leave him alone. And my feeling is I don't care if he's orange, you know, he did what he did and it has nothing to do with his skin color at all. But he had, as you say, he was a famous footballer. So he had a lot of fans. And so football fans also wrote horrible letters saying, you know, don't take this man out of the game, this man, whatever he did, and you think, no, 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 you know, he made that choice. He knew what he was doing was wrong. Even if he didn't feel, he knew. And he put a lot of money into that dogfighting operation knowing it was illegal. And so he has to pay the price, pay the piper, but I don't think he should have animals. And unfortunately he does. Is there anyone that ever checks up on him like that? Like, like in, a, in the case of a kid that's given back to abusive parents, the social worker makes like spot checks. Is anybody ever checking up that he's not doing it again? I'm sure he would not welcome anybody. I will bet you he's not doing it again. Someone would blow that whistle uh, in a second. So I have no worries that he's dogfighting. I don't think he will ever dogfight. He, he, he suffered greatly professionally from that. And that's probably what matters to him. I, he'll never do that again. I just hope he's not abusing the pet dogs that he have. Okay, so yeah. last questions, abolitionists. You know, I've been vegan 44 years, which means I've saved a lot of, I've not, by not eating them, I've saved a lot of animals, but I am not perfect. I have a rescue dog who eats a small amount of meat and I get vegans, I, 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 I get hate mail too, like, because I'm not a perfect vegan and maybe I wore a cosmetic, you know what I mean? And it's like, I find that this pandemic really uh, divided the vegan community because and it was, it was talking to Dr. Lau yesterday about this because it made me kind of sad because, uh, it's nice when other people are vegan because like we're on the same team, even if you're a vegan for environment versus your health or animals, we're all vegan. We're, and yet with this pandemic, with the anti-mask, anti-vax, it's kind of split and vegans are like at each other's throats. And then abolitionists are always basically saying, well, if you can't do everything perfectly, then like almost don't even bother. Well, I think people who like to hate, like to criticize are always at each other's throats. And I, basically say, and this may seem silly, but I would say don't pay any attention to it because it is the minority. Um, these people are vocal, but that's what keeps them going is to scream at other people. And if you can ever find two human beings who agree on everything, my goodness, what an amazing day that would be. We all have to get along, you know, and we all have to try to develop. None of us is perfect. Anybody who's screaming at somebody else is not perfect and they could be screamed back at. We're all trying to do, or we should be the best we can and we will have differences of opinion. And I do believe that this culture of hatred, this culture of yelling at each other is just so dead wrong. And it has to disintegrate sooner or later. It's sprung out of nowhere. It's a lack of manners. It's a lack of understanding. Let's all try our hardest to be decent to each other, to be kind to everybody, to be respectful, and to try to help each other develop to be better, because there's not one of us who doesn't need to keep developing, taking those steps. Well said. Thank you so much, Ingrid. Thanks, AJ.
I appreciate your work very much. And I appreciate all of you watching today's episode. I know it can be difficult at times hearing about these things, but it's really important and that you share this episode and buy Ingrid's book. And please come back tomorrow when my guest is Gabriel Miller. He will be making a banana breakfast bar with a peanut butter chocolate ice cream. See, it's easy to be vegan. The food's delicious. <laughs> Take care.